A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is great disturbance in the force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 257 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends as well as canon, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes, Zoom, as well as Stitcher and even Spotify, as well as right on our own Twitter and Facebook pages at SW Beyond Films. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Herleman, and with me like the idea that the Jedi have to deal with the dark side all the time. The Doctor of Timelines and a Wookiee-sized Star Wars fan in his own right, our own Dr. Jim Lane. So when we're, we're talking about the Beast Wars today... I, I was mentioning before um, we started recording that that is one of my favorite cartoon shows from the 90s. And um, Dinobot was my was my go-to, my go-to Transformer. So um, I, I rewatched the entire series in prep for this, uh, this, this uh, show today. I Dude, there were so many seasons that I totally forgot about when uh, uh, they crossed over with the Ark and Optimal, or what was it? Primal became Optimal Optimus. Oh, God. Good. Wait. Wait a minute. That's not... <laughs> what are we talking about? We're talking about some good stuff, but before we do, Jim, we were talking about some High Republic stuff. Uh, you had talked about the fact that you were able to finally get a hold of Dark Legends. Yes. the um, We had mentioned on our year in review that Dark Legends came out last year, and I do. Um, I finally was able to, to sit down and uh, read through it, and... I'm actually surprised with how much I enjoyed those. And I think my my thought in my head was that the Legends of Luke Skywalker, um, which were essentially like similar things, myths within this fake universe, um, those stories I absolutely hated. Those stories are atrocious. They're still atrocious. Right. I read the manga also recently. They are still atrocious stories. But I think I carry that dislike over to these um, the myths and fables and these Dark Legends books by George Mann. And I, I was 100% wrong. Um, I, I, although not all of them are great, I really did enjoy them. And I, did, I, I really liked the Dark Legends books a lot. And what you were saying about um, the High Republic and the, kind of how that tied in is that one of the stories actually ties into, into the dark which may or may not be a spoiler for Into the Dark. It was kind of for me um, because I definitely got uh, the surprise baddies of Into the Dark um, spoiled for me because of books like the Dark Legends and also a lot of their press kind of released who these bad guys were. And if you're reading the book, you kind of realize you're like, um, okay, so the bad guys you mentioned here – makes a lot of sense if you put them into into the dark based on where they're going oh i know exactly what they're doing and like it, it was plainly obvious uh for me so you you stumbled in i did the same thing it was the star wars.com's uh introduction videos and they introduced a species 
And I literally, I, I, I don't know why I stopped reading. I was on my 30 minute break. I set it down because I wanted to see a picture or something and I pulled it up and that video came up and I watched that video and I was like, Oh, oh my. And then I went right back into my book and literally the next paragraph there they were. And I was just like, Oh, I couldn't have waited five more sentences. Yeah, no, I, I, it, it basically was apparent to me. I think even before I started reading the book, I knew that the, that these, um, the species would pop up in this book. And so like the entire book I'm reading through and they're not introduced until the last third of the book or so. And it was like the entire book. I'm like, yep, yep. Yep, here it comes. So, nope, nope, not, yeah, it's coming soon. And so it, the whole reason I haven't even mentioned them, what, what they are or anything, even their name, is because I don't want to spoil it for anybody else because it really, like, it annoyed me that that got right. spoiled. Right. Yeah, I was in the same boat. Like, especially on a video, like, put a warning. Like, even with the Spider-Man trailer, they were like, hey, if you haven't seen Endgame. <laughs> Close, <laughs> like, your Close your eyes now. Close your eyes. Yes. Well, we're not talking about the High Republic today, but we are talking about something that does take place in the past. Here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time, or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars, and so do we. This episode, we look at Tales of the Jedi, Yulik, Valdroma, and the Beast Wars of Onderon. Now, before we get too deep into spoiler territory, we'll give you our quick spoiler-free rundown. Just be sure to jump off in Tarkin's arrogance. Millennia ago, the discovery of hyperspace travel brought the galaxy together, giving birth to a democratic union of star systems known as the Galactic Republic. From the time of its inception, the Republic grew over thousands of years to encompass vast numbers of inhabited worlds. The survival of the Republic depended on two factors, the wise governing of selfless administrators and lawmakers, and the preservation of harmony and justice by a heroic warrior fraternity, the Jedi Knights. In those glorious ancient days, a great many Force-sensitive individuals willingly entered arduous training under accomplished Jedi Masters, taking up the weapons, the knowledge, and the powers of the Jedi Way. Join us now as we explore the secret histories recorded in the Jedi Holocron, tales of an age when the Jedi Knights were numerous and strong. Dun, dun, dun. And with that... We jump into legends. So the Beast Wars of Onderon is the first comic series released in the Tales of the Jedi series. And I, so I, I went back to kind of see where where did this come from? And it was written by Tom Beach, 
who also wrote Dark Empire. Dark Empire was the first comic series released by um, Dark Horse, and so really the first of the Legends content before the Marvel series kind of get retroactively added back into Legends. And so you have Dark Empire 1 through 6 that came out, and then the next comics, as far as I'm aware, are these Tales of the Jedi comics. And so the Beast Wars of Onderon, even though taking place 4,000 years before the movies, is your first look at this um, Old Republic time period. It is actually really interesting because this is the 4,000 years time period is the time period that Tom Veach really wanted to talk about in the first place. He didn't want to do Dark Empire first. He wanted to do these old tales and he had written like entire backstories for this long ago time period before um, Dark Empire was ever pitched. And so they, they brought him on to do Dark Empire and then he kind of conferred with George Lucas directly to get him to be able to tell these tales of the Jedi and as long as George Lucas approved of the storylines, he was allowed to tell what he wanted to tell. And, nice. And so that's where we get this story initially. But I was trying to figure out where where was this first mentioned? Because you look up the Wikipedia sites and everything, and it all says that it was mentioned in Dark Empire, but not in the comic itself. Apparently, at the backs of all the Dark Empire comics are essays. Yeah, and handbooks, too. There was a series of handbooks that came out with those. Yeah, I have, like, number two of two or something like that. Yeah, so I had gone through and collected all the old Dark Empire comics, so I have them all. Um, Nice. But I've never read them because I just collected them to have the original printing of everything. And so I, I literally broke out all the Dark Empire comics, flipped to the backs of all of them, and, yep, sure enough, there's a bunch of essays on the back of them. And so I looked and yes. I, I flipped through all of them trying to find where any of this was mentioned before. And it appears that um, Dark Empire number five is the first instance we get of Ulick Keldroma ever being mentioned. And it's in the these essays. Um, and it actually references the story in the comic as the kicking <laughs> off to like it's, it's like a continuation of the story that we don't see in the actual comic books. It's really weird. Because in the comic, Leia gets a holocron. Um, and in the holocron is the gatekeeper of the holocron, uh, Bodo Boss. Mm. Oh, that's the great holocron. Yeah. And it says, as Leia makes contact with the chain of teachers whose words and images are recorded in the holocron, the first to appear is the holocron gatekeeper, gatekeeper Bodo Boss. Without even being questioned by Leia, the shimmering image of Bodo Boss speaks of what most concerns her. And this is in the comic itself. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do a mark, and I'm going to try to do a voice impressions. Yes. have fought to conquer the dark side by learning its secrets. Three, to my knowledge, three have tried this. Perished. Every one of them perished. And so that's that's in the comic, and it kind of stops there. And it says, The long departed Jedi's words have the ring of terrible prophecy for Luke Skywalker is at this very moment attempting to penetrate the power of the dark side. 
Leia now understands that Luke is not the first to believe the dark side can be conquered from within. Others have tried and failed. The stories of the other Jedi Knights who set out to learn the secrets of the dark side are contained in the Holocron. As the Millennium Falcon, safely away from Biss, journeys to the battle zone at Calamari, Leia retires in privacy to hold the Holocron in her hand and ask Master Bodovas to tell her more. Bodovas obliges his new student by relating the tale of Ulyquel Droma. And then it kind of goes into... This is all before these Tale of the Jedi comics ever came out. It goes into an in-depth background of the Golden Age of the Sith, the fall of the Sith, all about the Empress Tita system. And then it goes into the Eula Keldroma. Not the Eula Keldroma in the story we're telling today, though. This is like mm-hmm. the background of the, um, the, 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 the issues kind of in the future of what we're going to get to. Um, what's the... the, the Dark, um, Dark Lords of the Sith. That yeah, I know, I know which one you're talking about. I mean, because at the point, the one we're reading right now, he's still an apprentice, and what they're referring to is basically his fall, the the fall from grace. Yes, and so that it, it really jumps ahead to like all the background it's in here is for future comic books. So it's kind of interesting. It's it's almost like we're getting Yulik as a Vader character, where like we know about his fall first, and then we go back to learn and watch it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's a, what they're doing. And they even um, made parallels to Luke as um, Yulik Keldroma is kind of a parallel of Luke's, although hmm. we kind of see things change once Kevin J. Anderson kind of joins into the storyline and takes over the future of the storylines. Mm-hmm. But yeah, these, uh, these comics came out um, back in 93. And actually the, the Beast Wars of Onderon storyline is only two issues long. Right. They're surprisingly big for being only two issues. Um, Cause I, when I read the story, I was like, oh, this is a lot smaller than I'd be. But then when I was looking at it, I'm like, that's two issues. Like, that's a big two issues, really, when you stop and think about page-wise. It, it um, worked out to 25 pages of content in the omnibus, mm-hmm. e- each issue. So you have a 50-page story, which, again, is not very long, considering how long a lot of these arcs go. But, yeah, it's still, like, I was I was surprised about how long it was, regarding, figuring it was only two issues. Right. Well... For our spoiler-free part, was it any good? Was it accessible? How was the art? And could it be adopted into canon? Um, I would say it's a good story. I, I really enjoyed it. It, like the first of the omnibus tales of the Jedi stories, you jump right in. And I, I, I could see how a new person could feel like they don't know what's going on. But when you stop and you think about it, it's meant to be that way, just like the other one. Like, there's aspects of the story that are told all in flashback. There is no story for you to go and read to see how Frieda Nod falls, which ends up becoming kind of like a, a almost center point to this story as Ulick's story kind of moves forward. We find out how the parallels between Frieda Nod and Ulick kind of work hand in hand. But everything with Frieda Nod is all told in backstory, just like everything in the first one of the uh, Tales of the Jedi where we got all the Empress Tita stuff with the Empress Tita conflict. It's all outside the story. So I think, yeah, it's very accessible because everything, when you jump in, they give you all the keys to the kingdom right there. Everything you need to know is going to be in this and we're going to build off of that going forward. Which, like you pointed out, at the beginning here with the timeline issue of things like I think honestly the best way to read these stories is going through the omnibus don't 
don't do the chronological how they came out in the media order. I think it's it'd be much more confusing. <laughs> yeah, like you definitely, it's definitely accessible. Like you're saying, the amount of exposition in these two issues is, uh, I'm bordering on atrocious. <laughs> like it is. <laughs> um, so you have, like I said, 50 pages of this comic story. I'd say half is expedition about where the galaxy is. What is going on? What has happened before here? What is going on with this one particular planet that we're dealing with? And why are the Jedi getting involved? It's so much backstory. I feel like I had mentioned Tom Beach wrote out all these uh, stories to kind of that he was building up this back. He wanted to put it all in these two issues, like get it, <laughs> get it all down on paper. Um, so it's definitely accessible since they do do that. Uh, and I did enjoy the stories. I think they kick off to better stories. Um, and I, yeah. I found a lot of the background surprising coming back to this for the first time in probably 15, 20 years. I've had mm-hmm. a lot of what was dropped in these stories. Uh, story, Not uh, storylines dropped, but a lot of um, things brought up in the stories were very surprising to me. I didn't imagine that Frieda Nad was even mentioned in this because I know one of the future story arcs is the Frieda Nad uprising. So I just assumed he's in the future. I, he, he's not yet to come. And all of a sudden they're like, he's a huge part of this, 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 uh, this story. And so it was um, kind of surprising about a lot of what was coming up. But I enjoyed it. Um, the art is very 90s. <laughs> it's... Uh, it is what it is. It's uh it's like a late eighties, early nineties art style. Um actually going back through Dark Empire, I remember I hated Dark Empire's art style, but going back I, I appreciate it more now for what it is. And I think mm-hmm. the um the uh, Beast Wars comic art, they kind of went back. They're like you the the art style in Dark Empire was a little a little much for us. So we're gonna we're gonna pull it back a little and go a little more eighties on this art style. Yeah, I, I like the fact that the art on this definitely fits the tone of the omnibus itself with the you know, you look at the first uh Tales of the Jedi stories in this they definitely work in that regard. You feel like they're tied together with that styling. It's got a rustic look to it that I enjoy. Um I, I there are times where I feel like, you know, like they leave some details out, but I think it's like you said, it's the eighties style of art. So, I mean, like I just take it for what it is. I was not so much a fan of the dark empire style. So I really preferred this art style a lot more to what we got in that one. Um, but what you mentioned about picking up threads with this, uh, that you didn't notice, you know, coming back 15 years, that was the same thing for me. There was a lot of things when it came to the force, and the dark side in this that I was just like, oh, man, like you could tell that they were kind of going with certain ideas on things and left things nebulous that they could have ran with it in multiple directions. And, you know, later we find that they, they went one direction over the other. But there are things that are said, like like Arca talks about, you know, influencing the field of force to the light. Um, and then there's there's things that they talk about the dark side and stuff. And even you look like the first time I realized you looks not prepared at all, you know, going back even over the, the opening crawl thing that I was, I was talking about at the beginning here when they talk about uh great, many force sensitive individuals willingly entering arduous training under accomplished Jedi masters. These are adults. This is not kids. These are full on just adults out of nowhere, stepping up to 
do what they're doing. So when we start this comic and we see these characters and you look at them and they look like they're like 18, 20, 25, maybe even 30, but they're green behind the ears. They really don't know a lot of what they're doing. And it's apparent when Yulik says some things because he even admits he does not have much knowledge of the dark side, even though he also admits later like, oh, the Jedi, well, they deal with the dark side all the time. And I'm like, and yet you have no clue what the hell is going on? <laughs> yeah, I appreciate. I, I enjoyed that part. He's like, "Oh, we can fix your dark side problems. Not a, not an issue. Like we're Jedi, we know how to do everything. Like this is not going to be an issue for us." And I'm like, "You going down, boy? <laughs> you going down like?" Oh, <laughs> yep. Um, could it be adopted into canon? And we are going to circle back around this for a second pass after the spoiler-free review, just in case there's any details that really, you know, we want to keep for you guys that want to actually get what you want out of this story. Um, I would say, you know, yeah, for for a good chunk, you wouldn't have to do too much with this like any of the stories in the past. They're kind of wide-free to just be shifted over. The hardest thing I would say at this point with what we have in the New Republic, or I mean the High Republic, is we now know that in canon, the Sith spawn out of the Jedi. So, I mean, I was thinking about those aspects about this because that's definitely different from Legends backstory. You know, that, yes, you would have Jedi that would fall and become Sith, but the Sith were a species, then they were corrupted by Dark Jedi, then they became an Order of Force users. So... You know, having a Jedi fall to the dark side and get influenced by the Sith is a little different than, say, you know, finding out that the Jedi created the Sith and then that Sith order just continued to allow its knowledge to influence more of those like minded individuals to come over to Team Dark Side. So, I mean, I, I thought that was kind of an interesting aspect of things of how they could play with it. I think you could very much so loosely take this and move it. There was. Someone had mentioned to me before about the Beast Wars being referenced uh, in canon. And, you know, me and Jim, we were looking it up, and it turns out it's a Fantasy Flight uh, Games uh, Nexus of Power is where it's mentioned. And, you know, I mean, we're close, close to being adopted into canon, but we're not going to count those because the uh, role-playing games and stuff, when the whole Disney merger happened, Legends was getting mixed with canon when it came to the Fantasy Flight games and the RPG games. They were mixing those source materials purposely for people to play the game, which works for the game, but it doesn't work for an in-universe kind of set. And they never had strong sides, like you go to Wikipedia and you click the link for Legends or you click the link for canon. Now, it's all just put in there and you kind of had to guess what was referencing what. Which is weird in an era where they don't want to confuse fans that they would allow something like that to happen in the first place. But... Here we are. <laughs> yeah, I'd say we also have the instance that a lot of this story has already been brought into canon. Where in the Clone Wars, which is firmly in canon, um, although it started off in Legends, they have the whole Onderon arc where we are introduced to Saw Gerrera and his sister Stila. And the backstory on um, that pretty much matches what we have here. Like you're dealing with 4,000 years difference in time. And so lots of things can happen in 4,000 years. You just think of our own planet, like 4,000 years ago, it looks nothing like our planet today, but you still have the city of ISIS is in the clone wars. You have um, the, the one 
citadel of that city kind of separated from the out uh, the the beast um riders not beast wars um the beast riders on the outside and so i wish i had gone back i i didn't have time to go back and watch the that the that arc of stories to see how well it could fit in but from what i remember and what i've looked up it seems like you take you look out of it altogether take all the people out of it essentially and the situation fits into canon right now so now we're looking at like how would these people fit into canon and what you're saying about the um the jedi spawning the sith that is what happened in legends from a certain point of view right right and so it's kind of one of those like could that still apply to canon the way it applied in legends and yes even with those words um and you know that they have a tendency to overwrite the books um as we can see from the ahsoka novel is that they overwrote that book real quick when the clone wars came around (laughs) and uh so even though using those words it still can fit um from a certain point of view is that the jedi turned into the sith um and so i i think it can work it's it's so far removed that like we said with the golden age of the sith which is a thousand years before this story even so that's five thousand where now we jumped ahead a thousand years to four thousand years now um before the movies and it still works like you're you're dealing with a time kind of set apart from the current timeline that whatever happened there um can, can fit in yeah, you definitely notice too that like some things were still very nebulous in the aspect of like when they talk about the Sith, there could only be one Sith Lord. So you almost have the sense of the rule of two was already in play. Although at the time frame in Legends, that's not the case. Bane comes much later, but I like the way that it was wrote nebulous enough that you could almost put that together. You're like, oh, maybe that's the, the way it works. Because I was thinking like you could easily throw this, you know, another thousand years into the past, past you know, go back past the high Republic, toss this in even farther. Uh, and you could do something like that because like, have they tied down when Bane initiates the rule of two yet in Canon? Not yet. Bane has only been, um, as far as I'm aware, Bane has only been mentioned once and it was in the clone wars where he appeared. And well, right. except I think in the novelization of a new hope, he was never actually mentioned in a new hope, but he was mentioned in the novelization and we both know that the novelizations are not canon as long as they don't align with the movies. And so mm. basically it only works as canon if it's the script of the movie, which is kind of pointless in and of itself. Right. That's why I don't put those books on my uh, canon shelf. I'm like, nope. The, the closest I get are those uh, weird ones where it's like the farmer, the scoundrel, and the princess. <laughs> oh, those books are terrible. No. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I would say um, a lot of the, the Sith backstory is actually coming into canon lately, too. I've just, I'm have just i in the middle of uh, Thrawn Ascendancy, and he drops a lot of uh, one-liners mm-hmm. about when the Chiss were involved with the Galactic Republic during the Sith Wars. <laughs> yeah. And you have, like we said, in the High Republic, they drop a lot of the Sith Wars. Um, because they mentioned kind of a nebulous time period back when the Republic was in battle with the Sith. And so there definitely were similarities to Legends that um, they're alluding to, but we've been given no concrete details about. So 
it works. Like what what is back there works now, um, and that they haven't contradicted anything because it's so nebulous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man, and I I like how the characters on this story just like, you know, it's, it's a great setup because as you look at the overall of this era, it's like, you know, this is your prequel. Like, you know, you had the other story kind of just set up what was going on with the Darksiders and stuff. But I don't feel like you needed any of that to get any enjoyment out of this story. Like, you could jump right into this one, take off, and... I don't think you can say the same for stories that follow later because all the other stories kind of like tie back to this one. Not many tie back into the other uh, Golden Age stories like they do this one. I'd actually be interested to see because the next arc is the saga of Nomi Sunrider. And if I remember mm-hmm. correctly, doesn't really tie into this story at all. I felt like they were completely separate. I haven't read it. Like I said, I haven't read these in like 15 years. I haven't read it yet again. Um, and so I can't say for certain if it does or not, but that's my memory of it is that it's its own like three issue arc. And then once we get to the next arc after that, the Freedom Nat Uprising is when both these arcs kind of start to blend together, mostly with the characters because you're moving forward in time. Yeah, and that's and that's exactly it too, because Naomi's it's kind of like a shifting gear and you do almost the same thing from her point of view. Uh, and you could almost even make the argument that her character becomes even more important than Ulick, uh in the grand scheme of things. Um, I mean, and she's an interesting character, too. We'll talk about more when we get into her stories, um, because the name Sunrider had some controversy and stuff. And we I mean, like I'd forgotten all about it. But then when one of our listeners had mentioned it in our Beyond Rosie Ponder uh, uh, group. I went and I was looking it up and I was like, oh, that's right. Cause she was going to have her own standalone book and they couldn't call it Naomi Sunrider. They had to call it like a Mandela or something like that. Like a Mandela. They had like this whole thing going on with, with that word and what it meant and how it was going to tie into her. And hers was, hers was one of the few books like, uh, the Jaden core duology and the sword of the Jedi and a couple others that we knew were in the pipelines coming down in legends that just never saw fruition due to the whole Disney buyout and legends becoming rebranded. They were just the stories that just uh, got canceled, even though they were like, we're just putting them on hold <laughs> yeah, <laughs> forever. It was uh, Scott Johnson who had mentioned it and I had never seen this before. And so I spent half my morning this morning kind of looking up uh, what happened with the Nomi Sunrider. I'm like, what controversy with the name? No idea. Um, And so that was uh, there's still almost no information in the public. It seems to be a tightly controlled secret that only get occasional leaks by people like, yeah, we can't use the name. And that's about it. Like, they're not even saying why they can't use the name. It's like, we just can't use the name because of... um, copyright issues and yeah it's so weird it's like but lucasfilm has had a lockdown on the copyright since they messed up with like the tonica sisters back in a new hope and not having a copyright on their their images and so like (laughs) ever since then lucasfilm has had a lockdown on all their copyrights uh for reasons like this and so it's it's just it's a weird take on not take but it's a it's a weird story that i i don't think anyone really knows that's not in the know right one other thing about that nebulous aspect of what they were talking about the force there was a moment where one of the warriors in the battle the great big battle at the end of the story where he says something that i never put together before he tells the leader it's the dark force and he's like tells us more stuff he goes all my men are getting sick and confused and you know we've seen the sith use this before 
we've seen the Jedi use Jedi battle meditation in a similar way, but the way he said it's the dark force, you know, I like, I, I definitely felt like at times there was this whole duology of the force at play. And we've seen in later legend stories like New Jedi Order where Vajera shows up and she's like, tells Jason Solo, there is no dark side. And it makes him, you know, stop and contemplate everything he thinks he knows about the force. And one of those aspects that's always came forward about the force is that the force was a coin. There was a light side and a dark side and they represented each side of the coin. But what she kept trying to tell Jason was you're so worried about the tail side of the coin. You're failing to recognize that the coin itself is the force. But I also like the idea that even though the coin is all one and it is the force, that there is a duology to it. And those two duologies are both at war with each other. You know, at the same time, like I, I, I dig that. Like I want them to be the two entities as well. The duology and unity is one, both balance and chaos at once. And to watch them like in this eternal fight for dominance would be kind of cool. And depending on who the author is, you do see certain people kind of run with that force philosophy at times in legends, maybe not so much in canon but it is definitely something that maybe i would like to see them play with more especially going back into the high republic where we're seeing more jedi talking about you know staying true if you can't be balanced staying to the light and then watching characters like in into the dark where you know things are starting to influence them or in the test of courage where we see you know people having events that are influencing their emotions that are pushing them down darker roads God, man, I would love to see them really play with that philosophy a little bit more. And I didn't realize how much it was at play in this. I just see them really going into that coin analogy, like, too far. They're like, yes, like the, <laughs> the, you have the light side on the one side of the coin, the dark side on the other side of the coin. And if you look on the edge of the coin, you have all these ridges. And each ridge <laughs> is created by an event where, like, you start to slip. And you go from the light side of the coin through the ridge to the dark side of the coin. And then you get make a new ridge going back and eventually run out of ridges. And it's, just, it's like, how, how much can you beat this analogy to death like <laughs> <laughs> you know i i can see that i can see that yeah because you could see people going like oh well the dark the great paladins of the circle around the outside edge <laughs> <laughs> oh well jim i think it's time to jump into the real meat don't you i i am ready whenever you are all right We've analyzed their attack, sir, and there are spoilers. Should I have your ship standing by? Evacuate? In our moment of triumph? I think you overestimate their chances. So consider that your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentience of All Ages, because here we go on another adventure beyond the films. So when we get into the book, like I had mentioned before, there is a ton of exposition. And we are given, like, the first, I'd have to even look, it feels like the first ten pages of this comic basically gives us the backstory of Onderon and the where the, the beasts are coming from. So you have the planet of Onderon, which is fairly close to the moon of Duxon. Is that how you pronounce it? I don't think I've ever, like, gotten a good... yeah. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm going. D-X-U-N. So you pronounce it how Duxin. you want to. I'm pronouncing it Duxin. Um, yeah, because KOTOR never actually said it. And you see the words come up. <laughs> yeah. And so you have these beasts, these monstrous um, 
kind of pterodactyl type things that live on the moon of Duxon. And they have their own atmosphere as well, which is fairly close to Onderon. And every once in a while, the atmospheres touch and the beasts are able to fly from the um, evil moon of Duxon over to the planet of Onderon. Basically, they wreaked havoc on the local populace and were able to destroy the civilizations that were up and coming there. And so all the people kind of turned into a warlike culture, isolating themselves within the walled city of Isis. And the the wilds outside the city were kind of free grounds to these beasts. And they would exile people out of the city into the wilds that did anything wrong. And so eventually a culture actually built up within the wilds. These are your beast riders. And so you have what's cool, too, about that is we don't find out in this one. But later we find out the main person that put that in motion was free to not himself. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. So you have these um, this one storyline kind of taking as a background story to our main storyline, which is the story of Ulick Heldroma. And so you have Ulick Heldroma, um, his brother, Kate Heldroma, and the other Jedi... Um, uh, Tot. Yeah. Tot Drina or something like that. Tot Dinita. Mm-hmm. So Tot Dinita is a Twi'lek where apparently everybody else is human. Um, for some reason, they only won the draw one Twi'lek who looks a lot like um, Bib Fortuna, actually. <laughs> he has the same uh, kind of white skin. The one head tail is wrapped around his neck exactly like Bib Fortuna does. <laughs> He's kind of like the uh, uh, the the Gungan general to the Jar Jar Binks, whereas uh, Bibs Jar Jar, and and he's the general. He looks a little cooler than Bib does. <laughs> yes, yes, just slightly, just slightly though. And they all follow their master, uh, Master Arca, um, who is a cranky old man. And apparently, the cranky old man was placed in charge of the Onderon system. Uh, that wants to join the Republic, and so they need a Jedi, a Jedi overseer. And so Master Arca is like, "I'm the Jedi overseer." And all the he apparently has three Padawans, which are not Padawans um, yet. Yeah, uh, apprentices. By using or... that word, so three mm-hmm. apprentices. And he's like, "I'm going to send you guys because I'm old and don't want to do this." <laughs> there was some about that moment that made me stop and think, you know, because. A lot of masters that we see in the later episodes and stuff, the test of the Jedi comes after the fact. Like Ahsoka Tano. Oh, that was your test. Like, yes. In this case, it's totally different where Arca's just like, this will be your test. And I'm like thinking to myself, I'm like, what if the Force is testing you, dude? And this is your failing because these aren't actual, you know, full-on Jedi Knight like what we would think of. These are legitimately wet behind the ears, Padawan, basically. They're adults, but again, they came into the program late. They really are green. This is like their first solo mission. This is a, a glorious mistake for Ulick. I mean, really, the, the tragedy here should be Arca's screw-up. Arca should have been a lot more hands-on, because I mean, even when he does show up later, he's like, I couldn't leave you guys alone for three days. Like, dude, you should have known better, man. <laughs> oh, they're, my favorite thing about him coming back, he's like, I left you alone for three days, and you forked things up seriously royally. And it's like, yeah, and <laughs> whose fault is that? He's like, well, you should have done what I did. 
um, I used the battle meditation. He's like, but you never taught us that. I'm like, I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Really? This is where the conversation is going. It's like, you should have used this technique. You never taught us how to do that. Well, then maybe that's a failing on my part. You think? <laughs> right. When, when Ulick says, like, there's a, a moment in this, oh man, I'll find it later as we go, but he full on is like, I've never seen the dark side. He's in midst of having, knowing no knowledge about the dark side. And I'm just like, dude, how, like, how have I never criticized Arca more than I am about to in this episode? Because I'm like, dude, you should have never been in charge. You are not a great master. The annuals are full of crap. <laughs> you gave them no tools to be ready for the dark side. You like walked right into that. You had specific knowledge about the reason why the dark side has a hold on this planet. And you just let them stumble into it all. You are almost 100% responsible for Illich's foul. <laughs> <laughs> so the three apprentices head out to Andoran, and upon landing, they immediately um, try to exert their speciesism, racism. I don't know what what you want to call it. Xenophobia. Xenophobia. Yeah. <laughs> immediately try to arrest the Twi'lek um, because he looks different. Like they literally say that. Like you are different from us. We are going to arrest you and, and um, interrogate you. Like, seriously? Like, you ask these people here, <laughs> like, you're going to subject them to interrogations now? <laughs> yeah. I, I like to, when that all happens, you know, you had mentioned Arco saying to his Padawans why. He goes, he goes, in keeping with our pledge to the Republic, the Jedi Masters assigned one of their number to become a watchman of each system. Today, I've accepted charge of the Onderon worlds. And by doing so, he's sending them. It's like... <laughs> that is the biggest micromanaging I've ever seen of a Jedi Knight in my life. I'm like, oh my god, dude. <laughs> it's not micromanaging, it's delegating. <laughs> right, well, and then and then they're going to the planet, not just to, to quell this, but they're also setting up a Jedi outpost. So, I mean, you know, like, that, that, that's a lot that you're putting on these guys that have, they're not prepared for this at all. Why he thought they would be ready for this is just beside me. Like, you know, if they would have said like he had a force vision and the force told him to trust this guy, I might have bought it a little bit more. <laughs> so as they're attempting to land, the ship is essentially attacked by what looks like people on back of these pterodactyl things. We eventually find out that they are people on the back of these pterodactyl things, the beast war, the beast riders. Um, and while they are being questioned by the queen, the three Jedi get brought to the queen. While they're being questioned, the princess gets kidnapped by these beast riders, all seemingly happening um, almost at the same time. And so the princess is then captured by the beast riders, taken to the outpost, the, out the wilds, and the Jedi have vowed to bring the princess back. Vowed? No, they were, dude, they were totally strong-armed by a vicious Karen, man. Jeez Louise. That queen was evil, dude. The, the way she would come at things, like, that was total some foreshadowing, I guess you could say. But what, where is it? I'm, I'm going to pull it up right here. She says something to him that I was just like, man, you are just you're vicious. Uh, she goes, let the worm head go. I sense the force in them. These three are Jedi. 
But we were expecting a great Jedi Master, not untutored youth. So she's already insulting them. And you're just like, man, what And dropping that? racist oh. comments. Jeez, wormhead. Right. Like, <laughs> we don't, yes, we don't yes. use that word anymore. That's, yeah, it's so messed up. Uh, but then, like, after the, uh, the pirates and stuff show up, she's like, uh, oh, gone, my daughter, gone, cursed Jedi, you said you would came to protect us. And this is right when Ulick walks in. Okay, talk. The Beast Warriors turned tail and ran. Guess we were too much for them. Ulick crowd drama, is this my reward for asking you to help our beleaguered city? The loss of my daughter, I demand in the name of the Republic that you go after the kidnappers and bring her back. I'm just like, wow, you are just a bossy little Betty, aren't you? <laughs> but I'd forgotten so much stuff about this. Like when we arrived to Izzy's, I had all remember that word and always associated with the comics. But then I was like, wait a minute. No, I remember being on Izzy's. I remember talking to individuals and there's even narrative bubbles later that as the bubbles are happening, reminding me very much of my time on Izzy's. And it was all in KOTOR. Like I played that, and I was all over this place and there was all these little details and stuff. But like when we get to the narrative, when we finally get to the point where the Jedi go out and they run into the beast warriors and it's introducing the Kira family that has the princess, there's these cool little bubbles that are talking about each of the characters. And it totally reminds me of the non-player uh, interactions you'd have on KOTOR, right? Like you'd go up to somebody and they'd tell you about so-and-so's character. Like in this case, it's Modern Kira, a proud and ruthless man, a great physical strength, and his father, Droka the Elder, who suffered from an unhealing wound he received long ago when he was cast out of Isis. Droko has not spoken in years. And then there's uh, Arayo uh, Kira, a fierce warrior with a good heart. He's worked long... He has long worked for the overthrow of the Great Walled City. Like, it's just totally those non-player moments where you go up and they, like, give you, like, little bits of details that you don't really need, but they're also kind of good. That great disposition you were talking about. Yeah, that's, um like, pretty much from the point that they leave is the start of the second issue. And so, like, the entire first issue, like I said, exposition setting up everything in these two issues, really. Um, but it's really giving you a background on unnamed, unknown planets, on the uh, unknown situation, and really the background of where is the Jedi and the Force in general. And then they seed the dark side really in the second issue is when they start to feed Freedom Nad. Like, they drop the name Freedom Nad, and we know Freedom Nad um, just because, like, we know kind of where things are going. But it's like it was really a surprise that his name even popped up in general to me. I was not expecting to see it at all. Mm -hmm. and, so and we also see, too, that she's force sensitive because she senses the force in them. So we're seeing the ties that we'll get later, but they're not obvious right now. Yes, exactly. And so as we get kidnapped and we move out into the uh, wilds, uh, apparently taught. Danita can talk to animals and he is made an honorary um basically really ugly animal and they run uh, a borma or whatever they are yeah <laughs> look like little great dragons on the ground uh, lester great dragons uh, boma which i don't understand where these come from because if you think about how the beasts get from the moon to the planet they fly through the connected atmosphere these are 100 percent like giant like rhinoceros 
lion sort of animals, kind of like a reek. Um, right. It can't fly. Now, we've never had any issues in the real world, like like horses, mules, donkeys, right? Like, there's never been anything in real life where we've had a flying animal and a land mammal mate and it loses the ability to fly. <laughs> like, like, that's the only thing I could think of is like, maybe it bred with some kind of domesticated, like lizard horse. And this is the offspring. I don't know. No, uh, that can't happen. Um, only very closely related <laughs> species can actually mate. And even then, if they're not um, of the same species, typically the, uh, the animal is what would be quote a mule, a, And a mule, the animal itself, is a mule because it can't produce offspring. um, Because the so is Jason Sandula a mule? (laughs) That would be a question. Typically, in Star Wars, the crossbreeds between different uh, species still are able to make offspring. So probably not a mule. (laughs) But uh, in real life, you can probably equate it to birds. Um, Birds learn (laughs) to fly. And then you have several species of birds which don't fly. Emus, True. penguins don't fly, emus don't fly, ostriches don't fly. And so um, a lot of bird species kind of learned to evolve to fly and then ended up not flying um, down the line. And so it that could work that way. But evolutionary speaking, I can't figure out where these things would have come from because they don't look <laughs> similar enough to me. But... Right. We also see another evolution that happens subtly if you're only watching the panels. The lightsaber has lost its power pack. It's now what we see in the films. It's all a self-contained uh, unit. No longer a cord going to their belt. Oh, I didn't even notice that, but you're right. It's uh, we. I guess they wanted to go back and uh, add that when they did the later episode issues. Probably they didn't even think about it for this when they started this series since this is the first one. Uh, they're like, right. they just made the lightsabers the same as the lightsabers. Probably so, yeah, yeah. And so we are, they, they burst in on their Bomas, um, Bomus, Bomo, I had it in my head. Um, they bur- burst in riding on the animals into the banquet of the wedding that they kidnapped the princess to be married. And contrary to popular belief, it was not against her will. She actually orchestrated the whole thing. She wanted to be married to the Beast Rider or the the... I guess, would it be the, the Prince Beast Rider? Because I don't think he was the one in charge. Right, right. Yeah, no, he is the Prince. And and I was I was thinking the same thing because, like, they're not, like, he's not actually a king. Like, they call him, like, a Beast Lord, I believe. And But, yeah, he's definitely the number two. He's uh, Daddy's boy. And then they have Grandpa there who hasn't spoken in forever. And he has an unhealing wound for 50 years. And I'm like, <laughs> you should get that checked out. Yeah, I had a feeling like it had to do something with the dark side because everything itself, when it talks about that, was his fight against the dark side, which, again, puts out there that, you know, I mean, we, we saw the queen talk about throwing the pall of uh, freedom not against her enemies as they came and took her daughter. So, I mean, you starting to put together that there is a family connection to evil here in some form or fashion, which the daughter flat out throws in her face. But I got distracted before we get to that point because... While the ship got shot down and the Nebulon Ranger is no longer flying, one part was destroyed completely that Kay talks about. Because while Todd talks to Beast, Kay kind of like represents the other aspect of the Solo twins because, you know, Todd's kind of Jason Solo. 
K is the Jaina solo. You know, he's got the affinity for tools and things. So he recognizes that there's certain parts that are broke, but the transponder is completely destroyed. But don't worry, guys, he can fix it. Well, while they're doing dinner, he's like, I got to fix the transponder. This ship won't fly on its own. And I'm like, okay, this is clearly before that word was defined because I looked it up because my immediate sense was like, that's not right. Transponders have nothing to do with flight. And I looked up, sure enough, in Canon, you've got an escape pod transponder used for locating escape pods. There's a masking transponder used for uh, blocking the location of a ship. And then in Legends, we've got a hyperspace transponder used for sending messages or in IFF code or transponder code used to identify ships. This is all for sensors. This has nothing to do with flying your ship. Like, why is K... Obsessed with this. This is ridiculous. Basically, transmission, transponder. That's kind of, yeah, where you get it. Earlier in the issue, when they're with Mester Arca, he is also sitting and tinkering with his lightsaber, trying to improve the blade. And they're like, you need to pay attention. You can't be sitting there tinkering with the lightsaber. And I I think they (laughs) threw that in just to show that he's kind of a mechanical tinkerer. But I'm just wondering, I'm like, why can't, you sit because you can sit and listen while still working with your hands it's like a lot of um fidgety kids that's what the fidget spinners <laughs> kind of allow them to actually focus better because it makes it allows their hands to kind of do something else while their brains are paying more attention and so right and that's exactly what i thought i'm like what is wrong with him tinkering with the lightsaber while the lecture is going on it's just very weird i, I don't like mr arca <laughs> i yeah, I used to think Arca was like this really cool master, but the more I'm going back on this and what I know about his character from the KOTOR series later and everything, I'm just like, wow, I really had a, a piss poor idea of what this guy was all about. He is not so great. In fact, he's probably one of the the, the more uh, bumbling Jedi masters who got renowned. <laughs> <laughs> so... The Jedi then agree to help the princess to bring peace between these two people, which I thought would have been easy because you have the marriage of the two groups. And then like that seems just seems like in our personal history, you have marriage between two groups to bring peace between the two groups. And that apparently is not the case. So they agree to help this group bring peace. But if the peace does not work if they if they are unable to bring peace then they have agreed to battle the dark side and you looks like yeah we could take on the dark side what's the dark side i mean really i could do anything right there's even that narrative where it's like ulick has heard many stories of the dark side but he has never until now seen it at work and i'm like arca what the f- seriously you're you never once took him to a dark side cave. Nothing like you never let him let him dab their feet in the damn deep end of the pool. <laughs> you gonna let him just swim in the ocean? Damn it! <laughs> yeah, I don't even know. Like it's like, did you not realize that you kind of have to know the enemy to battle the enemy, as opposed to like <laughs> just assume the enemy doesn't exist? Is this uh, like right. you know it's there and just kind of ignore what it is? Right, and and Ulick's talking a good game. Trust me, please. I am a Jedi. The Jedi have to deal with the dark side all the time. <laughs> but you've never even freaking seen it at work. <laughs> I got that's like saying I know football players are fast. <laughs> you don't understand. 
just that morning, he had a piece of toast that fell on the carpet butter side down. Like he got so angry that like you could you could feel the dark side side rise up and he battled it back down. He said, No, dark side, I will not let you overtake me. Yeah, the uh, the sun goes, four centuries ago, a Jedi Knight named Freedom Nod brought the dark power of the Sith to our world. So this would be around the same time as the end of the Golden Age of the Sith and the Sith Wars then, right? No. 4,000 years at this? So that's 1,000 years. That would, They're saying Freedom Nod is 400 years, so you're off by 600 oh. years there. Okay, okay. So, wow, well, that's even much farther. Uh, he decreed that Honoron remained an isolated world so that he could rule unchallenged. I mean, I, I thought it was interesting, too, that that aspect of there can be only one Sith Lord. So Ned knowing he was never going to be able to take his master out. It's like, I'll just be a King on my own world. (laughs) He's just like, I'm out of (laughs) here. But it it made me think about that again. Like, you know, in Canon, the Sith now are more like a mirror to the Jedi that the, the Sith themselves, they sprang from the Jedi. Those Jedi, they, they created the Sith. They created a, basically like a mirror ideology and that ideology can corrupt other people that will follow that path. And I, I, I kind of like that idea of the Sith being a, a dark reflection of the Jedi and 100% that at least for now. I mean, as we, as we mentioned, you know, with legends, it's a lot more convoluted, the history and the, the different versions of the Sith and how they evolved. But in Canon, it's definitely a, a different ball game. And I'm, I'm interested to see if they're going to play with that more. So they bring the princess back to the queen, um, in order to discuss a treaty. And the queen basically says, I'd rather have my daughter die than to have her marry these off-worlders. And I'm just thinking that doesn't sound very promising for a uh, family reunion events where bringing the two sides together. Yeah, I, I like also how they call him out on his ignorance, too. They're like, dude, you don't really know what you're talking about, do you? Yeah. <laughs> um, so the queen, Queen Aminoa, um, also drops her husband's name, who doesn't appear in this, but he does come back later, King Omen. Um mm-hmm. He he comes back later, and probably the Freedom Net Uprising and the ones beyond. Yeah, that. I don't remember exactly because I remember. Yeah, and Arkham mentions him too as as a like we're rumored that he's still out there somewhere. Yeah, so the Qu- Queen Aminoa uh, basically gets completely engrossed in the dark side, um, encompassed in the dark side to take on the Jedi who basically turn tail and run um, immediately upon <laughs> this happening. Like, this is bad. Uh, and then they call the, the the Beast Rider forces who then proceed to attack the city. And from there, really, it's just like the last half of that issue is just the battle of the Beast Riders against the city. And Queen Aminoa uses the um, battle meditation, uh, which... I don't think that's what they called it, but essentially that's what it is. And right. to muster her forces and kind of reduce the will of the Beast Riders until uh, Arca shows up at the very end of the issue, bolsters the Beast Riders and are able to defeat uh, Queen Aminoa, who dies when they try to contain Frieden Nad's corpse essence. And, and that was interesting, too, because like, 
the daughter's like she dies, and yet one of the, I think it was Arkham's like, oh, she's not dead. He goes, uh, the the mom goes, the light, the light, no. And the daughter's like, you killed her. I don't care how evil she was. She was my mother. I loved her. And Arkham's like, I did not kill her. The dark power that supported her has fled. This place was powerful with the dark side, but my light is stronger. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I like the way that it's demonstrated, though, because like it's, it is a bright light, and you see it like when he walks in, the, the darkness around the sarcophagus is shrinking back into it, and you can see the yellow of his light. You can see the yellow of his light reflecting on the tomb, and yet you see the darkness around it still, even though his light's like pushing it down, which I thought that was kind of cool in the way that he goes about representing that. The way that uh, she embraces that darkness, though, is almost hilarious because, you know, he looks like <laughs> Queen Anoma, I represent the Jedi and the Galactic Republic. This is right after she's like, I'm going to kill my own daughter. If Andran wants to leave the Dark Ages and join the community of worlds, then you must put aside these hatreds. Mother, please listen to Ulic Quadroma. My marriage to Oren, it can mark a new beginning of a new age. And if you will not listen, know that the skies will soon grow dark with the beating of the wings of our war beasts. You want darkness, Kira? I'll show you darkness. I call upon the spirit of Freedom Nod, a Jedi far greater than these impotent youths. May the dark power that he taught my husband and all our ancestors fill me now! Queen Amana has long worshipped the Sith teachings in the memory of Frida Nod, but never until now has she been so filled with hatred or so open to the shadow that infected the world. There is a great roaring sound, and the three Jedi and the young couple find themselves immersed in powerful waves of darkness. So, I mean, you know, like, they don't really... I mean, she's talking about it, but I don't think, like, the narrative really points out so much that this is legitimately the darkness of freedom not it's not until arca shows up and suppresses it that we realize that this is basically a dead dark side force user and he's doing all the influencing like it's not just like a stain like this is one of those moment in canon kind of situations where he's latched onto his body and his tomb and he's influencing through that. And by her calling on him, she's really unleashed the evil. Like, ooh, I like that. So you also have like the cult aspect of it all, because even on like the last page they mentioned, like Free Nad still has followers in the city. So he has mm-hmm. like he like the entire city is following Free Nad. I'm assuming kind of as like a savior sort of thing. Like he came and he saved their city. He became king and they're still loyal to him like 400 years later um, because his essence is still there. As we'll see, Freedom Nad's um, force ghost uh, comes back in the later issues. And I found it interesting is that they never really dealt with the body in this arc. Like we know in future storylines that his corpse gets moved to Duxon. Uh, to kind of keep um, his influence away. But that's never mentioned here. Like, they have the mm-hmm. sarcophagus on the second to last page, and then you get to the last page, and it's, like, barely even, like, not even mentioned about what his body is doing. And so mm-hmm. it's like we locked him in the light side, and then we left him there because he's not going to hurt anyone anymore. I don't know. <laughs> and, and And let's just put him on a dark moon, because, you know, like... <laughs> A dark moon if we're going to give him away. power, <laughs> right? 
I, I do like how the New Republic has taken that uh, uh, in into darkness, and and there's a moment in there where they take these idols that are also kind of possessed with dark side energies, and they bring it to be cleansed at another location. Um, and, and you know, like we see, like the opposite of that. Whereas in this case, they're taking him to Doxon to do it, but like. I, I like the canons doing it in that direction. Like I like to kind of see more of those kind of things, like going back into the past and having these places that are, are stained and tainted or have, you know, possession of Sith Lords or dark side users and stuff. The idea that there could be like a Jedi ghostbuster crew going around and cleansing these places is kind of appealing to me. <laughs> so I liked one of the things I really enjoyed about the, this arc was the, like Kay loses his arm at one point. Um, like he throws his lightsaber at one of the the attacking guards and another no, guard. No, no, he gets him. shot. It gets shot out of his hand. I was watching that because the, oh, guy, the guy calls it on him. It. And, yeah, no, it looks like he does. The guy shoots it out of his hand and it falls and it falls through the other guy's thigh. And the guy's like, "Ooh, get you for that. <laughs> but then is the guy behind him that cuts off his arm. And they seated this random droid in the background of one of the panels. And I noticed the droid because if you look at it, the panel has all of the three Jedi and the princess kind of next to this droid. But it's framed really weird because the princess Mm -hmm. has no body. It's just her head kind of floating. (laughs) So you're not sure if that's like a cut between panels or like she's weirdly twisted so that it's like she's coming around a corner or something. But she definitely has no body. And (laughs) and so you have this droid that's sitting there that's kind of seated for no reason whatsoever until Kay loses his arm. And he's like, well, there's this droid right here. Perfect for um, making a... Um, accessory to my arm, and or what is it called? Um, prosthetic. Yeah, a perfect for a prosthetic on arm, and so then right. he spends like half the issue tinkering on his metal arm, which I don't remember him ever having a metal arm. So I'm kind of surprised. I'm See, like, I, I I don't remember this. <laughs> I remember the metal arm, but I had thought for some reason that Eula could cut the arm off. I had forgotten where this ends up going, and I had things mixed up, and I was just like, oh. Uh, uh, I also like how this scene kind of shows that Kay is the one that's more level-headed because you looks like, Kay, what am I going to do? I can't let you die! Like, because he's got blood rushing out of the arm. He's like, don't be stupid. I can live without the arm. There's a med pack on my right hip. Open it. Uh, uh, ah, good thing I can handle a lightsaber with the other hand. Ah, but, but if that thing in the shadows is what I think it is, I'm getting myself a better fighting arm. And he's looking at the droid. You looks like, what are you doing? This is no time to start fixing droids. And he's like... This is an old XT6 model, you look. Their appendages make great prosthetics. Like, he goes right to work, one-handed, disassembling this droid to build himself a new arm. I love K. Yeah. Well, that's a, like, um, like you mentioned. He's like, I can't live without you. He's like, what are you, an idiot? Like, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> well, the fact that Arca put... Yulik in charge like he had a word for it like he's like something like you're my like main man or something like that and they're all looking to him but I just keep thinking you know like honestly I I think Tot should have been in charge like (laughs) Tot is almost forgotten about by the end by the time we get to the end of this series like I wonder if he's even still alive because I he's barely mentioned and he is occasionally in the background um like I feel like I don't even know why they would have thrown him into the storyline other than to show off the 
uh, xenophobia of the um, ISIS. Uh, I don't know mm-hmm. what they're they're uh, the Andoranians. The Andoranians, yeah. yeah. Yeah, when Arca goes to the tomb, I, I was wondering. I was almost thinking, you know, maybe it was his body itself that was the nexus of the dark side or his presence. But I'm almost wondering if it's the saber because Arca reaches in and pulls the lightsaber from his dead hand. And then he turns to the daughter and he goes, all your ancestors belong to the dark side, Galia. But that is over. The shadow has been broken. Let go of the past. You are free. And I'm wondering if the lightsaber itself is the relic that Nod focused on as he died. And, and maybe that's where his spirit's at. Or at least that's what Arca thinks. Or yeah, that could, yeah, that could totally I be thought, the case. I thought it was actually the armor. Um, that, that, mm. uh, that he imbued with his force senses, force senses, force, force self. Force essence. Yeah. That one. That, that's a good word. Mm-hmm. We'll use that one. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely one of the things about this era that both in Legends and Canon that really excites me to see how that stuff gets played with and where they go with it. Because there's so many directions you could take it. I mean, and the fact that we're still dealing with Jedi and Sith in Canon, we really haven't even brought in many other Force traditions yet to really start messing with their minds. (laughs) (laughs) You think the, the Sith are bad. You just wait till you find out what kind of dark side magic the Ewoks are doing. (laughs) <laughs> or like, you know, the Grey Paladins, some Fallen Nazi. I mean, there's a, there's a couple ones that they could bring in, pull a Thrawn, just use the name, and kind of like recreate them in a totally new way. I mean, we're, you know, I'm, I'm down. I'm always down. Well, I think that's that's all I got on this issue. Uh, the one other thing I had was uh, Arca had mentioned uh, one of the things after he showed up. He goes, half of every conflict is the will to win. It is the time of the Jedi. The will to win and the power of war are given by the dark side. Or as dawn throws back the night, they are given by the light. And I'm like, that, that is the worst damn Chinese fortune cookie. That basically says that either side could win. Like, that was so damn confusing. <laughs> it means that we won because we wanted to win. Or really, I just bolstered their will to win so that we could win. And if I didn't bolster their will to win, then we wouldn't have won. Right. Because we lost. (laughs) Yeah, he goes, by visualizing the desired outcome of a battle, a Jedi influences the field of force that surrounds all events. And that was another one of those that I, I must have read that five, eight different times in my life. And this time I was like, ooh, that's... That's interesting. A field of force that surrounds all events. You know, getting back to that whole, you know, the the idea that the dark side could have a, a motive, you know, and that the light and the dark could be fighting at things, you know, that there's a field of the force that surrounds all events that you can visualize a desired outcome to have it go one way or the other. I thought it was kind of cool. Um, you know, and, and, and we also get Arca explaining Nad's fall, um, and it's, it's, again, almost presented in a way one could say that the Sith were almost presented already following the rule, too. I mean, you know, I, I, I thought that that was an interesting thing, too, because as you presented at the beginning of this, this is definitely one of those things that they went back and they started telling these stories first. 
And then this era kind of fleshed out as it went along. And so it's like some of the ideas that they thought they were going to do, they decided, oh, no, well, we won't do that at this time frame. We'll do it later. And so, like, you could see the wording of the fact that there are two Sith Lords or only one Sith Lord at this time, even though the rule of two is not actually in effect at this point. Um, we also see Arca's light banishing Nod's darkness, the Jedi winning the day and all that. Like, and that's when he mentions Omen still being a potential issue. Um, there's definitely a lot of foreshadowing here at the very end. Yeah. So this, I, I mentioned this earlier. I wanted to read this part. It's my, my favorite um, part of how Arca is an S. Um, it says uh, the great Jedi master does not seem pleased to see his three apprentices. This is when he first lands after basically uh, saving the day. This was your first mission. And after only three days, I have to intercede. Okay, my son, have you already begun throwing your flesh away and your hunger for the great light? I, I've got another master holding up his droid arm. Look, I made you my charge man and you have utterly failed the test I gave you. But what do you mean, Master? We did everything we could. So you did. But the dark side is at work here. You should have sensed it the moment you arrived. As for this great war, you have launched the way to win it was the way I won it. I meditated the fight, influencing its, its outcome using a Jedi's mental powers. By visualizing the desired outcome of battle, a Jedi influences the field of force that surrounds all events. But, Master Arca, that's not something you taught us. <laughs> True. Perhaps this was too great a test for you. Now come with me. Let us find the source of all this trouble. <laughs> that was too great a test for you? Really? So you need to... Figure out how to win this war on your own using techniques I didn't show you, so you need to learn how to use those techniques out of your own head. Like, right. my word. <laughs> techniques against a, a, an enemy that I've never even brought you in front of. <laughs> You've never even touched the dark side. How can you fight it? <laughs> well, you, well sh- you can't. You should have known how to fight it through instinct. Right. <laughs> I love there at the end, he goes, Frida Nod still has followers in the city. Their cult may yet cause trouble. There are even rumors that Galia's father is still alive somewhere on the planet. I'll need you three to stay here for a while. It's like, you just really aren't going to step up, are you? <laughs> you told the council you will, but you're just not going to do it. <laughs> it's just And then, of course, Kay's like, yeah, Kay's like, I'm ready. Anybody for an arm wrestling? He's got the new arm on. And this is where, where uh, Yola goes, Master Arca, Freedom Nod was a Jedi. How can a trained Jedi, trained in the ways of the light, fall victim to the dark side? And I'm like thinking to myself, one canon, pretty much all of them are. Yeah. <laughs> he goes, it has happened more than once. Unfortunately, it does not happen often. Yulik, my son, pray that it never happens to you. Dun, dun, dun. Talk about foreshadowing. <laughs> oh, yeah. So we get to that point. It, it comes to an end. We've got to our happy uh, Clone Wars. We're ready to, uh, to rock and roll. So with that, let's do our follow-up questions, Jim. Um, should it be brought into canon? And, you know, we what would we need to change to adopt it? That we kind of will just run over real quick. And then what would you rate it? Um, should it be brought into canon? I kind of lean towards, you know, it, it, it shouldn't, like you could easily enough, but do we really need to redo all the stories again in the way that they were? 
I don't know. I kind of feel like we could do this in the aspect of Thrawn. You know, we can have this event happen and we can create new characters or add new characters to the story, retell it in a way that is completely fresh and new and yet still be kind of true to the concepts of the idea. Um, I don't, I'm on the fence there because on one hand, like when they did the whole Legends reboot and, you know, I was at one of the publishing things at at Celebration Anaheim and, you know, listening to J.J. or uh, John Jackson Miller talking about how they're not going to reinvent the wheel when they were talking about the idea of the galaxy and the history. Um, You know, there is parts of me that's like, you know, I would like to see a lot of these events redone or retold, but I'm also for new, fresh things. So I'm like, should it? I kind of lean on the no, it shouldn't. what would we need to change? Little things, like we were mentioning at the beginning. I, th- I think it don't need a lot to retool this in a way to make it work with what we have coming forward. I think it would definitely need to be placed farther back, say, than uh, the High Republic. I wouldn't put it in that 200-year gap between High Republic and uh, the Phantom Menace, for sure. I would definitely put it farther back. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I kind of agree with you. Um, I'm going to jump around on the questions there a little bit and think um, if this were to be brought in, what needs to change? And I don't think I think it can be brought in as is. I think um, if you're set far enough back that it doesn't really matter. It kind of fits in with the the uh, other stories that we've already read, the Golden Age of the Sith and the Fall of the Sith, obviously, because they were written as um, prequel stories to the story that we have just read. But do I think it should be brought back? And I kind of agree with you. I like the way that they have done Thrawn and the way that Timothy Zahn has said that he's writing Thrawn is he's writing Thrawn as if the like Heir of the Empire trilogy still happens. It's the same character he's just doing earlier in the timeline. Like clearly Heir of the Empire is not part of the the canon, but theoretically his current books that he's writing work with that book. And so, or with that trilogy and with the other books he's written about Thrawn. And so it's it's all one continuity kind of in his head. Like, yes, I know it's not one continuity in his head. He knows it's not one continuity in his head. But essentially the character can uh, branch across the two continuities. And so you can mm-hmm. have something similar here where you have references to Eula Keldroma, but you don't ever actually give us his story in canon because we have his story here. And it doesn't need to match one-to-one, but you can make comments about the story that as if the story were in canon, this would fit, this would fit. And you have kind of flashbacks or references to the story, but it doesn't have to actually be in here. And if anybody wants it, you can go to the Legends, and this is what Legends says. It may be a little different than what the canon version is, but we're not going to get mm-hmm. a canon version. So that's Similar to like what we're getting with Revan so far, you know, like with the, the tie-in with the backstory of the, you know, him being one of many Sith Lords that Palpatine used as names of his uh, Final Order troops. Yes, yes. So, so you have the references doesn't mean you'd have no idea what is canon, what isn't canon, but something in there is canon. And so that sort of thing can happen. And you could even mention it similar to the ways mentioned in Dark Empire. Like there were many Jedi who fell to the dark side and um, all of them perished. And so that, that can be sort of a callback to that event without ever having to de- delve deep into it. Yeah. Now with that, uh, we're going to talk covers real quick. Luckily, there's only two, technically three, I guess, if you have your omnibus, I guess. Um, what I didn't realize with this, though, and I, I'm sure you did, was that 
The Tales of the Jedi did not at the time cover the uh, Golden Age of the Sith and stuff. It wasn't until later they added that to the front of those as well. The Tales of the Jedi specifically was this story and Naomi's story originally. Like, yep. I was like, oh. Yeah, actually, that's uh, the Knights of the Old Republic uh, trade paperback were those two tales stories together. So everything we know about Knights of the Old Republic, that's where it originated from. We have... You haven't even heard of Knights of the Old Republic until the Beast Wars of Andoran and um, the Nomi, Nomi Sunrider. Those two stories were packaged into one uh, trade paperback together because it's about five issues total. Um, and that was called Knights of the Old Republic. So it's kind of its own. Uh, that's where that came from. But the Tales of the Jedi, yeah, the like we had mentioned before, the uh, Golden Age of the Sith and um, the Fall of the Sith Empire, those weren't published till later. And so this this is your first um, instance back in time. Mm. Well, the first of the two covers would be number one. It's got a picture of Yulik on the cover. Uh, more photorealistic than what we get in the comic. I actually think he looks a lot cooler in the representation we have here. Uh, behind him is about oh, 10 or so uh, Jedi Knights holding their lightsabers up. And the lightsabers are all blazed up with a white light. No color to him. His light being green and stuff. Really cool pose. Um, I mean, it looks cool. Make a great poster, but I don't really feel like it serves the story at all. Um, whereas the second one, I, I definitely feel like that one is a bigger play up on what actually we get, uh, inside of it. It's got Todd. He's uh, Todd's riding one of those, uh, dragon things and he's going up against the uh, warriors, the commandos on the ground. So like, I, I think that one serves the story a heck of a lot better than the first one. Uh, the other one, no, it definitely looks more like a movie poster than this second one does. So, I mean, both work. Really cool illustrations. Got to like them. I'd say if I, I had to pick a favorite, it'd be hard because I like the action of the second one a little bit more than the uh, movie f- poster feel of the first one. First one does kind of feel like you could use it as an advertisement for a new era. Um, but, yeah, I think I'd give it to the second one if I had to pick of those two. And then, of course, you know, if you got the Omnibus, it's actually got the cover of Golden Age of the Sith on it. It doesn't tie to this at all. So... <laughs> Yeah, Dave Dorman did both of them. Um, and I think, like, you're right. The second cover kind of has more of a tie to the actual storyline. But I actually kind of like the first cover because it's more of a, um idealized version of the kind of the Jedi with the, the Ulik in the front and all the Jedi lightsabers in the back. And if you think about it, this is the first time that we are seeing tons of jedi we have never at, at this point we have never seen a lot of jedi luke's Je- new sure. jedi order has not been formed yet we don't have any of the prequel series this is the first comic to give us essentially more than one lightsaber like yeah good point we don't have anything like this and so i kind of like that in its in and of itself and the artwork actually is very reminiscent of this cover to the um, Dark Empire series, the internal art of the Dark Empire series, kind of a more exaggerated art style that doesn't really show you everything, kind of a very strong uh, color uh, swaths across the page. Um, and like I said, I, the Dark Empire art style was kind of uh, um, working its uh, working its magic on me as I was flipping through it. I'm like, I don't seem to hate it as much as I did when I first read it. <laughs> And so I, I, I'll probably actually go with the first cover. As a, I like that one better, more as a, um, like I would ha- hang that image up on my wall sort of uh, right. thing. Right, definitely. Because, like, for me, the thing that appeals to me about it, like, it 
I use a lot of tops cards as bookmarks and that one would make a really good bookmark. Um, the covers for the dark empire are some of my top cards bookmarks that I have sitting over here. <laughs> like uh, they're just some of my favorite covers. So yeah, it definitely has that vibe. Um, I would totally use that one as a tops card bookmark in my books. Cause I love it like that. Um, how would we rate it? I, you know, for me, I enjoyed this one, but I, I feel like it doesn't have a lot going on. It's more of a setup. So I went kind of more with a six, more mid ground on this one. Uh, it, it's not middle of the ground. I felt like it is a solid story. So I went one tick over the midway point. Um, but I think it's a pretty solid six on this one. Art's decent. Uh, story is good. Where we go from here, just this makes where we go from here even better. So yeah, I, I went with this good solid six. I 100% agree. I think I'm going to go with a six as well, maybe a six and a half, 6.32. Um, it is a building episode. You get a lot of the background information, and those are not going to be your best stories. You're going to get a lot of exposition, which is what we got, and they don't have time to tell a majorly in-depth story here. And we only had two issues. Um, I assume the next three, the Nomi Sunrider probably are not going to be um, much better, probably going to be on similar story level-wise. But once you kick off of those, then you really start to get into the story itself and kind of use these as your source um, to, to tell those stories. And so I, I, I think it has good potential of where we're going, but as a story of itself, you don't have much of a story here. Right. This, this and the Naomi one are kind of like the first three episodes of WandaVision. And then the, <laughs> the following one is like issue four. You're like, oh, oh, it's all coming together now, baby. <laughs> there is a reason I sat through those first three episodes and it's paying off. It's paying off big. <laughs> We're paying off in spades, baby. Yeah. It, oh, yeah. it was it was uh, it was free to Nat all along. <laughs> It was that nattest all along. Da! Well, now that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Zoom, Stitcher, as well as Spotify and even iTunes. And as always, we encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can also find links to our episodes on both our Twitter and Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in the search bar. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our Facebook page. It is literally the best way to interact with us. It's our own home one, if you will. We even have some uh, private Beyonder Who Ponder group chats that you can get in on. Um, you can also comment to us about past shows. We love interacting with you fellow fans. If you have any Star Wars or Legends questions or you want to comment about past episodes in general, fire off an email directly to us at SWBeyondFilms at StarWarsFanWorks.com. Now, lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention to you our sponsors, Audible. If you go to www.audibletrial.com, you can get a free trial run of audible.com to see what they're all about. 
Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars Expanded Universe or any other genre without risk of being stuck with the book you flat out hate. Because Audible members, they can exchange any book within 12 months. That's one year with no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making that switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So once again, for Star Wars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Jim and Tom and my uh, my Porgy. He's my, my team. Oh, Team Porg. <laughs> Saying thanks for listening and may the force be with you. Don't quote us the odds that Ulic Kaldroma will actually fall to the dark side of the force. Um, probably because Master Ark is a terrible teacher. Yes, I mean, it, and, and why didn't he ever call Tot's son? Why was it only the two brothers? Like, for a second there, I was like, was he supposed to be their dad? <laughs> he, that's why I'm surprised it's Tot that doesn't turn to the, the, that dark side. Because it's like, really? Like, you just ignore me. Is it because I'm different? <laughs> right? If anyone has a reason to want to just bring justice to the galaxy. <laughs> Did you see the uh, way they treated me when I landed on the planet? <laughs> It was immediate, man. <laughs> Look at that worm tail head. Like, yeah, that was pretty hardcore. Like, it, it definitely makes you wonder, though. I mean, they, they kind of handled them pretty well. So clearly they've seen aliens before. <laughs> yeah, and, and they don't like their kind here. <laughs> we don't serve your kind here. In fact, we're going to put you in a detention cell. <laughs> like, wait a minute. Is this America? Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Alright, my man. Uh, now I got two episodes to get on to. Finish one, get into the next one. There you go. My wife's like, you're doing two back to back? I'm like, yeah, Mark wanted to have something to edit together. I don't know. I don't understand it. <laughs> I, know. I was like, like, I might have bit off more than I could chew. I need to get on that first one. <laughs> Alright, my man. <laughs>